My name's Tom Yamas. I work for NBC News, and I'm so honored to be here at South by Southwest. We have a really incredible conversation coming up about a really important show. I binged it over the last three days. I don't think there's anything on television quite like this. It is so authentic. It is so real. It's powerful. It's funny. It's emotional. And we're going to talk all about it in just a moment. I do want to bring up to the stage one of our first panelists. He's the host of this show. Some of you may know his name, some of you may not, but uh, most of you probably do. His work in film, theater, and television covers a variety of genres. He's literally done it all. His most recent film, The Menu, has gotten rave reviews. He's also going to star in Amazon's upcoming series, The Power, alongside Tony Collette. His directorial debut, Critical Thinking, was selected to premiere here at South by Southwest. He's won an Emmy Award, a Drama Desk Award, as well as nominations for Tony Awards and Golden Globes on top of that. He also received a special Tony Award in 2018 for Latin History for Morons, which was incredible, his most recent one-man show. And then let's talk about the movies, right? Carlito's Way, Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar, Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge, Summer of Sam, Encanto, The Ice Age, It Never Stops. He does it all. But the thing that he does that really makes me happy, that, that makes me just, I don't know, puts me in like the right mood, is when he dances. You know I, can't, you know I, I love music too much. I, I can't, you put a beat on, I have to dance. He knew that. Why'd you do that to me? You know, I did that because the first time I ever heard of John Leguizamo, this was going way back, was House of Buggin'. And it was, it was kind of like a sketch comedy show, but it was of Latinos. We had never seen anything like it. I grew up in Miami. But the coolest thing was that John would come out like, like sort of popping and locking and breakdancing. Oh my and God, I could he dance would dance. Back when then. they didn't have sketches, he'd just jam dance and we'd watch. <laughs> it was great. Uh, John. And, and it would have been a hit back then if there had been Latino Nielsen houses. But, but we they, did they not didn't have. have they, they had maybe one Latin family on Nielsen's. Who would have thought that you weren't represented and black families weren't represented either back in that day? We're going to talk about all of that. Our next <laughs> guest, I want to bring her to the stage. Her work has appeared on MSNBC, VH1, A&E Discovery, History Channel, Netflix, Amazon, Apple Plus, HBO Max. Some of her big, biggest projects include Jennifer Lopez's Halftime, which was an amazing documentary, Mark Wahlberg's Wall Street, the, the doc The Day I Met El Chapo, and Los Jets, Jennifer Lopez, I, I mentioned that one, and the podcast Fatal Voyage. Let's welcome to the stage Carolina Saavedra, the Woo! executive producer of the show. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carolina, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. And the director of the show, I don't know if you live in a neighborhood, but some neighborhoods in Miami, there's like little, little houses, right? And then you got a McMansion in the middle of the neighborhood, and you're like, why does this exist? Well, part of the reason why that exists because of our next guy, because he helped create the show Cribs. And that was his <laughs> first claim to fame, so now everybody in America wants a crib. He also worked on Raul Julia's The World's a Stage, which is an amazing, amazing film. Also, American Masters, Lights, Camera, Action, Essential Heroes, Momento Latino. He also executive produced and, and which was executive produced and hosted by Eva Longoria, as well as the hit uh, multicam sitcom Bunked, which my kids love. I want to welcome director Ben De Jesus. Ben, please come to the stage. Hey, ben. <laughs> ben, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. You got a big fan out there. Yeah, somebody. Yeah. It must be like mom or dad. I got uh, a couple. Just one. It's a deal. Uh, okay, guys, first, before we talk about the show, before I even give, like, the spiel about what the show is, I want you guys to tell me briefly about your origin story, your family story, where your roots come from. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, yeah, uh, like a Wikipedia version of, of my life. Uh, well, I came to the United States when I was three years old to Queens, Jackson Heights. 
Two people, yeah. <laughs> Middleway to Austin, fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was a difficult neighborhood. There was a lot of white flight. I got beat up a lot, uh, but it made me really strong. And comedy became my way of survival. And it became sort of my ticket to, to Hollywood and realized that Hollywood wasn't really for me So uh, because they weren't giving me the opportunity. So I started writing my own material and, and creating my own projects. And luckily, you know, America was ready for it. And uh, my one-man shows helped me create, you know, Broadway shows and, and change the way uh, America sees Latin people. All right. <laughs> Carolina? Um, I came to this country when I was close to eight. Um, I come from Chile, and I, we essentially had to leave our country because my father was blacklisted um, during the Pinochet era. So uh, we came to the United States where my father studied to get his doctorate at the University of Iowa. So I'm a little bit from everywhere because I'm from Iowa. Then I moved to the East Coast, then worked in Manhattan, and I got into news because, um, because of my life story. For me, it was always important to tell stories and to tell the reality of, of what our stories are. And I actually started my career at MSNBC. MSNBC. Um, so this is a full circle moment for me, which is super exciting, um, and I'm super proud of that. Uh, so yeah, and then I've been working in the industry for about, I don't want to age myself, because he's always trying to find out my age, um, <laughs> but for a long time. <laughs> awesome. So I grew up in uh, Trenton, New Jersey. I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, and uh, all right, Boricua, wepa. So uh, I grew up uh, as a theater kid. I was really uh, uh, into Broadway and wanted to make that my career, et cetera. And I grew up idolizing Raul Julia and this guy right here, John Leguizamo. So this is a full circle moment did. for me too. So very, very proud and honored. As the son of Cuban refugees who, who grew up in Miami, it's an honor to be here with all three of you because I think what you're doing is truly trailblazing. And I want to jump right into it. So the show is called Leguizano, Let Leguizamo Does America. And here's the official release. It's a six-part series produced by NBC News Studios and premiering on MSNBC April 16th. So put it on your calendars. The series follows John across the country to celebrate Latino history, culture, and communities. Okay, that's, that's the official thing yeah. you'll see on the TV guide, if it even exists anymore. Yeah. To me, this is what the show is, and you tell me if I'm wrong. You look at America like a piñata, right? And like sometimes a piñata, like a good one, like you hit it and the stuff falls, but like sometimes the ones that were like a little cheaper, like your, your dad had to go and shake it and it all falls out. And I think the show is that. The show is, is which, America's which the, America the piñata, right? And then John, you're shaking this thing and all these Latino treasures are falling yeah. out. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. people didn't even know what to expect. It's yeah. a surprise. So I think it's really phenomenal what you guys have done. Talk to me about the idea, yeah. the concept, and, and, and take well, it well, thank there. you. That was a beautiful setup for it. Uh, this is the the first of its kind. This show, which is crazy to imagine, because we Latin people are the oldest ethnic group in America, the largest ethnic group, and there's never been an English language show about our culture. So that's that's thank you, thank you. So what the, this this show is about Latin exceptionalism, and what we've survived in this country, the, uh, the things that, the, the, the being, that, it proves that being Latin is a superpower because you know our wealth has been stolen, we've been deported. We're the only group that's been deported. Two million Latin people were deported in 1930 by Herbert Hoover, who were American citizens because of the Depression. Then they came at us at the, the Wetback Act in the 1950s, deported more American citizens. 
And, and we keep coming back and we keep rebuilding and we've had, we had $2.8 trillion to the U.S. economy. If we were our own na nation economy, we'd be the fifth largest economy in the world. And we get not much for it. We don't get our money's worth. And so this show shows our struggles, our pain, our joy, our dance, our music, our culture, artists, painters, dancers, uh, activists, politicians, and we go into a deep dive. And I couldn't do it without these two great, great talents here who helped orchestrate it, build it, shape it, and, and make it happen. Oh, thank you, John. Huge honor. Yeah. <laughs> Carolina and Ben, can you talk to me about the pitch? Uh, NBC Films, MSNBC, they took the pitch, they invested in this. But talk to me about the process, because part of the show explores how hard it is to make truly authentic Latino entertainment. Sure, well I've been working with John for about 13 years as partners on a, on a bunch of projects. We have a company called NGL Collective. So I had spent some years with John on the road making some documentaries uh, for PBS, kind of showing his process. Because again, I grew up really admiring and idolizing John and I was able to go into the, the room and see how he makes it happen. So when he was doing Latin history for morons, the inspiration struck, which was like, this is a comedy show. People are really being enlightened by learning these stories that they didn't know about, our incredible contributions to the fabric of this country. And so over a, a bunch of conversations, we had talked about doing something where John would travel to different historical sites where he would kind of experience it and, and tell people about it at the places where it happened. And it evolved uh, over time and it became something that was more fun and a little bit like John on the go. And, one thing that you realize about John, he has this infectious curiosity and love for people that is incredible, like nobody else I've ever met. So to capture that and to be on this journey uh, for, with him was something that MSNBC was really excited about with. Uh, and so we, we took the show on the road and they took it and here we are. If I could give a shout out back to Ben, I mean, I couldn't have done this show without anybody but Ben directing it. I mean, he had four cameras on me, some of the best camera operators, all Latinx crew that Caro helped build and put together. And, and, and he would just his infectious love of, of Latin culture, uh, of, of our stories, of our people, of our pain. And he just goes in there and fearlessly and tirelessly helped me, you know, put this on film. In, your, in the movie The Menu, we were talking about this backstage, there's this funny scene. Why? Where, where, where Why? I told you I was going to ask you. So there's, <laughs> a, there's a scene that John has where he plays a famous, but I guess sort of washed up actor. Is that fair in The He's Menu? He's a washed up yeah. actor who has a presentational show like this one. <laughs> so it was, a, it was a moment when I was in the menu going to the a other actors. This is a meta, meta moment. Is my career over? Please tell me it's not. Yeah, it's incredibly ironic because the, the joke is, you know, take an actor, famous actor, send him to Italy, have him eat a pizza, have him eat some pasta, and it's a travel show on any network. But your career's but, over. Yeah. <laughs> but that's why you're doing that because you're not viable. But no, this is not. But that's no. the ironic part, right, John? Because, like, that's not what this show is. No, no, you no, could have no. done that. True, true. You could have done that. No, I wouldn't have done that. But you could have, but you didn't. I could have, but I wouldn't. You did something wouldn't. completely different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I would never do a light show like that. I need to do a show that's about, I mean, what I've brought to American comedy and American st story writing is to mix comedy with pain. Yeah. Because that's the way my experience and Latin experience was. And I brought it into Mambo Mouth, Spicarama, and, 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 I, and I will always blend it like comedy with Serious pain. Because, Catalina, the show does have food and travel, but it's really about history and culture. In fact, I think it's a master class mm. on Latino history and culture. You come out of it educated. And the difference between those travel shows, it's an escapism. It's a departure. 
Whereas this, you feel empowered. Yeah, and I feel like that was something that was right from the start when I met John and talked to Ben. That was something that I that we felt uh, really needed to be brought into the show, and you can only do that with you know historical context, so that people really understand where this stuff comes from, why we're here, what happened. Like for instance, a great example is we're talking to Chewy Garcia, right, Representative Chewy Garcia in Chicago, and he starts to tell us about his family, and it's not just a, a fluff piece about Chewy and, and his platform, but it's really about where he comes from, his struggle for representation in this city that he loves. And he starts to tell us a story about his family, and his family, you know, came with the Bracero program, and then a lot, and so he tells us the history, he doesn't go into the history of that, so then it's incumbent on us to kind of fill in the blanks, and to tell people, like, let us kind of take you out of the scene for a minute and break down what this is for you so that you understand where he's coming from and what he's talking about. And then we go back into the scene, which I thought were, were elements to our show that were hugely important. You know, Ben, one of the things that has been a problem for Latinos in the entertainment industry is that anytime we get a TV show made, we get a film made, it gets watered down, it gets put through a filter. By the time you taste it, it no longer tastes like coffee. It tastes like brown water, right? This show is literally authentic. I mean, I'm I, from Miami, 305, live and die. I learned stuff about my own community that I, that I didn't know, and I've, I've spent years there covering it, reporting on it. How did you guys make the show so authentic? Because you, you took some bold choices. Well, I mean, we wanted to tell stories that were deeper than like a travel log. We wanted to really avoid this being like a show hosted by a celebrity. And I know John wouldn't go for that, and we didn't want to kind of settle for that. So really, we leaned into what John's taste and his flavors and his curiosity would lead him on his own. And we really uh, went for it, basically. So we went to the stories that when we would go to a city, we wouldn't necessarily go to the famous touristy or the one that people tell you, you should go to this restaurant because X, Y, Z. We were like, well, who's the next generation of that? What's the, what's the future version of that? And we applied that across actors and artists and activists and politicians. And I think I, think I, I got to give credit to John, though, because John was willing to take that ride with us. We were on the road for six weeks in the middle of July and August. Everybody's roasting 110 degrees. John is always camera ready. I don't know how he does that, but never sweating. And uh, I think it, 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 it required full commitment from everybody on the team, but really John set the standard. And John was the first guy ready to work, never complains. He's the hardest worker I know. And uh, there's no shortcuts to telling stories like this. I want to talk about one of the moments that, that sort of jumped out at me that made me sort of realize this was something different. And, and yes, I work for NBC News, so it's part of the family, but I want to be very honest with you. I wouldn't be up here if I didn't think the show was great. And they asked me what I thought, and I was completely honest with them. But there was a moment where they're in Puerto Rico speaking to a reggaeton artist who is, in a very eloquent manner, sort of giving you the history of Puerto Rico, talking about Commonwealth versus being a colony and how Puerto Rico feels like being a colony. On top of that, she's trans, and she's one of the biggest artist that Bad Bunny has ever discovered. So I'm watching this going, whoa, this is breaking down so many barriers because you have the machismo culture and you've, you've highlighted this trans reggaeton artist that is blowing up and she's teaching you about the history of Puerto Rico. I mean, what was that like? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I, I got to give tribute to, to Ben and Caro and Caro figuring out how to get the most interesting people, the people who are, are going to talk to me honestly. You know, I, people who are okay going to a deep dive about politics their emotional state and what's really going on. Who can be co 
come with me, to me all the way to the places that I want to go. And so she would vet them to find those people. And, and Villano, she, she came at it. You know, she helped me, you know, figure myself out, you know, because col colonialism to me is something that will always affect Latin culture, you know, it always affect how we see ourselves, our self-worth, and it all came from, you know, they, the Spaniards came here and basically decimated our culture, our religion, our, our language, and we're the only people in the world whose cultural religion and language has been destroyed and we're still here. On that point, John, when you walk into the Telemundo Center in Miami, which uh, NBC also is partners with Telemundo, we own Telemundo, there's a phrase that says, act like owners, not like renters. And that is like, when I read that, I was like, whoa, that's, that's where it's at right there when you speak about sort of that, that perspective and that, that shadow you can't shake of being a colony. Carolina, you want to I just want to add one little thing about our stories and how we found them. I also have to give credit uh, to my team, people that I hired that are super incredible uh, artists in their own right. And together we found these stories and built them and obviously pitched them to John. And John was either into it or not. And, and also to the people at the network and the studio who did not limit us in terms of who we went after. I think like we need to like acknowledge that. That's what I'm saying about why it was so authentic. I had never seen anything like this. It was, it was just so real. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. It's like we they understood what we wanted to do and they supported us all the way. And then you get a team of people who are as, as enthusiastic about the subject matter. And all of us on this team, you know, we are so proud of who we are. We're so proud of our community. And, and there's so much talent out there. And we just kind of was the magic sauce. We got everybody together. And when you have the right support with the right people, magic happens, you know. I mean, to back up what Kara was saying, it, it's true. I mean, I, I've done enough TV shows and worked with enough studios where the sort of sanitizing by committee, the whitewashing, it just happens. It starts to happen, you know, and the show becomes nothing what you planned it to be. Or the flip side, they try to get all the Latino cultures into one sitcom, and it's like, right, right. It's like we're confused now. What, who, who are we what talking is that? about? What is that? Yeah. Yeah. But M MSNBC and NBC... Studios and MSNBC films, they gave us the freedom. They gave us the permission. They allowed us to be as raw as we wanted to be. So we, um, you have an episode in Los Angeles, which is, I know is very close to your heart. We have a clip from your interview with Robert Rodriguez. Oh, let's, yeah, let's play yeah. that if we can, please. Somebody with no money, no contacts, no crew. There was no crew. It was just me. I was doing everything with the camera. And how long did it take you to shoot that? Two weeks. Two weeks. So I tell people, you could change your whole life in two weeks if you apply yourself. You can look at your lack of situation as a negative. Oh, I don't have any money. I'm selling my body to science. I'm never going to get anywhere. There aren't any other Latins in the business. No one's even come out of Texas. Right, right. What chance do I have? You don't see it that way. You look at it the other way. Like, I'm going to go make this. Maybe I can sell it and double my money. Maybe if I can't, at least I know I tried. All in all, Robert has brought this town more than 1.5 billion from his films. And that's not even counting the TV shows he's produced. People sometimes go to Hollywood and yeah. find that it's not for them, especially, you know, Latinos. Right, right. I never even bothered to go. I figured I didn't fit in there. Right. But because I made mariachi out of my apartment when they <laughs> bought it, I thought, maybe I can stay home where my inspiration and my family right, and everything right, right. is. In 2000, Robert opened up Troublemaker Studios, a production company in his hometown of Austin, Texas. 
I found that was a big gift, was to be outside of the element, you just found you had ideas no one else was coming up with. Telling stories no one else is bothering to tell. And so it feels fresh, yeah, it's original, original and it's ours, because we're, you know, no one's told these Latin stories yet. So it's been cool to create um, so many franchises, the Mariachi series, the Spy Kids series, the Machete series, you know, just filmmakers don't usually create their own series of films that way. But because you were able to, and you were away from the industry, I didn't need permission. No, no, you need permission. That's the thing, when you that's don't have thing. to go hat in hand, yeah, ask yeah, somebody yeah. before you can make your dream happen, that's empowerment. That's what happened to me. It was like, I, I was trying to pitch stories to Hollywood, Latin movies, Latin stories, and nothing was getting done, so I went to theater, where there was the was least point of resistance though, in my neighborhood, with my friends, my brother, yeah. who I would do all my one-man shows to, and then perform them in these tiny spaces where I had to ask nobody for permission, or I had to pass through a committee I just wrote my stories and boom, there they were. Even for me, seeing that, it'd be like, Mambo Mouth, he just wanted to make his own show. I mean, both you and I started not in the system, but outside of the creating system. Your because own, of, you were creating your own system. Yeah, right, because it was, there was no entryway into that system. There's a so real power to, and joy to that. Yeah. Nice. Oh, wow. Do, they, do, do you know that he's one of the great pioneers of independent film? And when he was talking about selling his body, he sold. It was real. Yeah, he was selling his blood and all kinds of. Uh, For science research. Yeah. To, to get money. And he money. used that money to do his film. Mm. Yes, mariachi. yes. Mariachi. El Mariachi. Great film, which turned into Desperado, which yeah. the next point he made was he casted Desperado with a bunch of people that weren't superstars, and they've all blown up since then. Um, John, you, you say something at the beginning of the Los Angeles episode. You say, welcome to Hollywood, or as I call it, Hollywooden. People may look at you, and I want to explain this because sometimes you have to tell people a couple times so they understand. People may look at you and say, you're John Leguizamo, man. You've done everything. What are you complaining about? But explain what it takes to become John Leguizamo because you never stop fighting. Well, I am a complainer, and I like to complain. Because <laughs> if you can't be a New Yorker and not complain because then we're going to take away your, your license. He's good at it. <laughs> yeah, no, complaining is important, man. we got to complain. Um, yeah, I mean, when, when, I, when I started out, you know, I was at NYU with Andrew McCarthy and D.B. Sweeney, my acting class in NYU. I was an A student, and, and I thought I was a good actor like them, and then they're going to five auditions a day, and I'm going to one audition every five months for a drug dealer. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm paying the same tuition, I'm studying, I'm as good as they are. And, then, and you know, the casting breakdown was like Jim Crow in the 80s. It was like white actor white lawyer, white doctor, white everything, and then you would ask your agent, can you just tell them to see me? Let me do my monologue. Maybe I can change their mind. They won't even see me. You couldn't even be seen. So I knew that, wait a minute, my, I, I, I was an idealistic young man. I thought meritocracy was a real thing. I thought talent would rise to the top. And thank God I finally learned that it's not true, that it's not real and it doesn't exist. And that's when I started to get a reality check for myself and go, wow, it's never going to happen for me. I have to figure out my own way because no matter how talented I am, no matter how well I write, it's, no one's going to help me. So I started performing in tiny art space, performance art spaces downtown. The last one at night at Gusto House, the last one at PS122 because, you know, I was a Latin guy, so they, they didn't know what to do with me. So they would put me last thinking, you know, if everybody leaves, at least, you know, there'll be somebody talking while they clean up. And, uh, and I cleaned up. People stayed. They started laughing. And then they realized, you know, white people wanted to see me. 
And, uh, and then they put me a little earlier, a little earlier. Pretty soon I'm headlining. And then all of a sudden Latin people are finding me. When they put me on HBO, Latin people found me. And we found each other. And then they, when I started doing Spicarama, I was selling out everywhere I toured. And then, you know, De Niro and Madonna are coming down to see this Latin guy tell his Latin stories about his Latin shit. <laughs> and, and they loved it, you know. And uh, that's when I realized there's an audience out there Latin audience hungry to see themselves and a white audience that loves great Latin storytelling and black audience and an Asian story that, that will see me. And that gave me the power and continues to power me. And you were saying when you were auditioning in those early days, people were just blatantly racist with you. They said nobody wants to watch Latinos succeeding. Nobody wants to watch a Latino hero. Well, they, executives, they executives, when I, when I would pitch them stories, they go, that's great. And I go, you know, but we need more Latin stories. He goes, well, you know, I to, to tell you the truth, John, uh, Latin people don't want to see Latin people. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> really? We don't want to see ourselves? God, I, I don't feel that inside. And they would tell me things like, you know, I'm pitching like a real feel-good movie. Well, Latinos don't want to see feel-good movies. Really? <laughs> we just want to see depressing, dram dramatic bullshit? Oh, well, yeah, I, I love that stuff too, but... And then they would tell me, to my face, they would tell me th their inner thoughts by accident. They would tell me that, you know, we don't need to go after Latin audience because we already got their money. So, but now, I mean, obviously, execs are much more savvy. They won't say that to your face. They'll probably think it, but they won't say it. Because, I mean, there's a lot of great things being done for optics in the business right now that we're going after the, the people of color. We're giving everybody an opportunity. We want diversity, but what are they greenlighting? What are they greenlighting? What are they greenlighting? Yes. I, I, I want to add just thank God that John did not give up because John, having traveled with him for so long, there's nobody in the Latin space that has changed and inspired an entire generation of creators, not just actors, but writers, directors, producers. And I, I really like thank you, John, for sticking with it, because if you gave up, there's so many of us that wouldn't be here. No, I, I told him I told him when I was growing up. We were looking for plays that had Latino roles, and that's how we, one of the first ways we heard that you, you even did Broadway was Mambo Mouth Freak, and it was like, whoa, and we totally connected with that because in the library, even in Miami, full of plays, full of different dramatic works, it was hard to find Latino roles. Right, right. I mean, not to fangirl, but I have all his playbills because I went to see all his shows when I was you know, living on the East Coast, and he is, he's that guy to, uh, he's our North Star in many ways because unlike so many people, who are in the limelight, who are afraid to say what they need, what they feel, and who are afraid to take it there and take the conversation where it really should be going. This is a man who's, who's not, right? And we need people like him. And yeah, we're all so grateful. We would, none of us would be here without him. No, no, exactly. Because when I, when I was doing it, I was doing it for kids who look like me. Mm -hmm. I wanted them to feel seen. <sighs> Keep going. Well, I was going to say, I mean, I had this question later, but you, you, you opened the door. There, there is a trauma, man. There is a trauma. And you guys talk about this. And you actually, you have this crazy exchange in Washington, D.C. at that theater. I know it's incredibly emotional. I don't know if you can get through it. If you can, just if you could give the, the audience just I'll, a taste. I'll do it for me. Okay. <laughs> so we went to the Gala Theater, which is this theater that um, essentially provides a safe space for kids in D.C., 
mostly all are, uh, you know, whose parents are immigrants and they themselves, some of them are, you know, illegal. And they're really struggling with their experience of coming to this country because there is a trauma. There's, you're leaving your country, you're leaving everyone that you love and you come to this country and it's, you're not instantly embraced. I mean, I think he wasn't, I wasn't, you know, you're from Puerto Rico, you might have a slightly different experience, but I'm sure on some level, uh, you know, it's, it's like ours. And I think, you know, in that moment, John sat down with these kids and they started to tell him what the significance of this theater was for them and how it was providing them with a voice and an ability to not feel alone. And John was able to connect with them on so many levels based on his story. And it just became this really beautiful moment of recognition, I would say, of like, I am you and you are me, right? And we've all been through this. And, and I think that across our stories, that's what we, always saw is that like we see each other and when we when we look at each other we we know your story to some degree right there's this recognition and i think he went through a really emotional moment at that point you know ben we tell a lot of stories and there are moments though as a reporter as a photographer as a director even though you're behind the lens and you're hearing a story it just touches you and you 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 just you become human again you know you you, you don't forget that humanity what was that moment like to kind of see that footage to be there and experience that moment it was very special, and I, I, I knew it was magic as it was happening. And not just for the cameras, for the kids and for John to have that moment, even if it wasn't shot, was something really incredible and, and meaningful. And I think that's, again, just testament to John's commitment for opening doors for so many of us. And this isn't about us excluding other people at the expense of us getting more. We just we want to be seen. We want our fair share. We want to participate. We want to share our stories and celebrate with you, and we want to celebrate your story. So... I thought it was beautiful. It was one of the highlights of my, my career. 100%. I mean, yeah, I, I just feel like we're 20% of the U.S. population, less than 1% of the protagonists on film, less than 1% of the executives, less than 1% of the stories being told. With 30% of the U.S. box office, $4 billion we, we give to streaming. And we just, I mean, the representation is just nil. It's just not, it's not acceptable. It's not okay. And, and, it, and things have to change now. You know, I've been told, you know, give it time. Give it, but, yo, I'm already four decades in. When is it going to change? I can't keep waiting. My life's going to be over. Things got to change now, right now. We, we Latin people have to start getting a little more active. We got to start boycotting, protesting, picketing. Uh, it th we, things have to change now. Robert Rodriguez brings up a point in the LA episode in that interview where he says he wanted to stay in Austin and stay with his family because he wanted to tell stories about his family because nobody else was telling these stories. Nobody else had heard these stories, you know? Do you find that to be true, though? Is, is Hollywood now a little hungrier for unique Latino content, or do they still want the same tired drug dealer, border, cartel story? No, they, they, I, I think executives and studios are really trying to change. They're trying, but you know, obviously, there's, there's still the, the gatekeepers, the decision makers are still don't look like us. So they're still a little resistant, still, you know, I, I've been pitching stories for the last four years period pieces about heroes, about great activists in the 1800s, Jovita Idar, this Latin woman in the late 1800s, early 1900s who ran her own newspaper, 
who fought against lynching because Latin people, 6,000 of us were lynched and burned and set on fire in the United States from the 1830 to 1930. Jim Crow laws were also for Latin people. And she fought, and I wanted to make her story as she fought to save Latin children from being lynched. And no studio said, no, we don't do period pieces. We just don't do period pieces. I go, yeah, but I just saw, I saw some period pieces. <laughs> I saw a couple movies look like very period type stuff. I said, okay. So, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible, man. And there's a great story about Gil Bosquez, that this Mexican ambassador saved 40,000 Jews in Vichy, France, in Nazi France. It took 20,000 and put them in one church and hit 20,000 in the other church and then gave them asylum in Mexico. Saved 39,000 more Jews than Schindler. They won't do that story either because it's a Latin person and it's period and they have there's millions of excuses that we can all attribute to whatever just to piggyback on what john is saying like the solution is within us i think i think we have more power than we give ourselves credit for and so a lot of what we're doing now is just we got to give ourselves the green light like any documentary that i've ever done i just did it i started it without having any studio support it i just said i got a camera my first doc was with john and i i showed up at a rehearsal with him and fisher stevens and uh, the first day I was there with my little DSLR camera, I said, wow, this is a documentary. So the next day I wrote a treatment and I brought it to Fish and, and John. And I was like, hey, I think this is a documentary. Uh, could I come along? And uh, John, to his credit, and Fish, they were like, sure, just come along. And I, I pretty much uh, never stopped showing up. I don't know if John regrets that, but I, I won't stop showing up. But uh, it's about taking matters into our own hands and, and making the stories that we want to tell. Like, Hollywood has a short memory with certain things. Uh, Desi Arnaz helped create the entire Hollywood television industry himself. So it's been done before. So we're, we're gonna take a page from that, take a page from Tyler Perry, and, and even from Blumhouse and A24, and I always say, like, why not us? We gotta do it ourselves. Great point. Um, John, and I, I, I do wanna be, you know, very blunt about this, the show, is it's not a show about protest. It's a show about celebrating the culture. And it's a show that you feel, like I said, empowered and you feel excited and you want to learn more. You, you, you want more after you see well, this. Because we're clever. Yeah, you're good. We got to seduce. You got to <laughs> seduce. You know, when I did Latin History for Morons, I knew nobody wanted to hear about Latin history, not that's even Latin my, people. That's my question, though. Yeah. Why, why is this sort of something that you have never stopped doing? You, you want to keep educating Americans about Latinos, and so the question is, and Latin why? people, I'm yeah. educating Latin people. Yeah. Didn't no, know, it's true. We don't, we don't know our own history. I didn't know any of the stuff that I was uh, putting in Latin history morons. And when I I saw it, it was mind blowing to understand that with the most decorated uh, war, uh, uh, the the most awarded uh, 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 soldiers in every battle that America's ever had, we fought ten thousand known Latino patriots fought in world in uh, American Revolution. Twenty thousand of us fought in the Civil War. One hundred twenty thousand of us fought in World War One. Five hundred thousand of us fought in World War Two. But you never see a movie about us. There was no Latin band of brothers. Where was he? <laughs> you know, D Discovery Channel. Where's those stories? I mean, it's crazy. So yeah, I like. I figured the only way to get everyone to hear the things that I want to hear was through humor. And in this one, it's with food, music, dance, some comedy. That's how. That's how we suck everybody in. 
Carolina, tell me about some funny moments shooting with John. It's got to be uh, a trip and, and going, you know, to Puerto Rico and all these all these different cities. Honestly, uh, shooting with John and, and all of my experience, it, and I and I say this and it's like, I feel like you probably think I'm just trying to blow smoke up your, you know, but it's it's the truth. He is such a joy to be around on a day-to-day -day basis. He's kind and and, and to your point, curious about everything and everyone. So everyone on set, whether you were behind the camera or a guest, you know, they felt truly engaged with this incredible human being, superstar, and he makes you feel, and everyone feel like they're worthy. And yeah, there's tons of humor, especially, and I will say, a lot of it comes from these two, who basically spend the entire day just making fun of each other. And so, and then everybody technique, got it. It's a technique, <laughs> my directing style with John. Uh, but no, but every day was hilarious. Every day there was, you know, comedy that came into, into play for sure. And it definitely broke some, some more serious moments. That was so, that was always welcome. And it kept things light. But yeah, I mean, with John, you can't get away from it. Wait, Ben, did I hear like a John impersonation? Do you do like a John? Can we get a little bit of that? Can we? I don't think so. No, there's, 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 there's not an impersonation. There's nothing to imitate. I don't have an accent. The, the, he's, my, he's my personal bully. That's my yeah. personal bully. The debate it's between who speaks Spanish better is a never-ending debate. So. Porque yo hablo el español mucho mejor que Ben. Ben él tiene un acento gringo. Mentira, mentira, mentira. Él habla hablar así cuando poder hablar español. Gente. See what you did, Carol? You got him. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Talk to me about those tacos with George Lopez, because the tacos looked a little spicy. Could this guy handle it? Because it looked like you were a little nervous with the tacos. <laughs> those tacos were dope. I mean, they were the food truck. Who invented that? Land people did. Uh, <laughs> so they brought us to a food truck, the, the el, el, uh, el, Pastor. El Pastor. Yeah, and then, oh, my God, it was, it was so dope. And it was delicious, and it was crazy hot. And, and, but I have to interview... My, my homie George Lopez. I didn't want to be like, <laughs> and the whole the whole thing was like, you have to have the hot sauce or you're not Latino. So they start like like hammering this guy's tacos and he's like sweating. Who's right. more Latino? <laughs> yeah. And the taco truck owner got in on the joke when he couldn't handle it. He's like, mm, your white side is showing, and it was just like <laughs> hilarious. I mean, every it, there's always levity. Let's just say it that yeah. way, right? What did, what did you guys learn? What did you, talk to me about an episode and something you learned. I, I, like I said, I, I learned so much through the six episodes, but what did you guys learn? I mean, I'll start with Puerto Rico. For me, yeah. that episode, uh, going and talking to the Taino people, mm. was one of the most mind-blowing experiences that I feel I've ever had as a producer and as a person. The indigenous population the of the indigenous Caribbean. The indigenous population of, of Puerto Rico. And so to hear their stories and for them to tell us, you know, we are not dead we're here we're live living and we're, we're, we're because and because of my bad but for a, a purpose in land history of morons i said that there was an, a caribbean holocaust and that all the native american people the tainos and arawaks were all extinct and 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 so they took me to caguas the center of puerto, puerto rico and these kawana kawana and these indigenous people said you, you did us an offense by saying that we don't exist because now they can take our lands from us. And, you know, they, they you know, castigated me on, on film and I was happy to be proved wrong because I don't want to do any harm to anyone. But it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, castigar, castigate feels yeah. so, um, uh, with this kind of they negative energy. Me. But she was, they were very, it was a very kind exchange yeah, of yeah. like, 
I, we just wanted to let you know that that's not the truth. And to, and John being, you know, this, a student of life, I think, you know, he's open to hearing uh, what the, the reality of the story is. And they just had this beautiful exchange uh, between all of them. And for me, just to, to hear, the, to have them talk about what it is that uh, is going to ultimately determine who we are as people, and um, and about the danger in telling them that they don't have Taino roots because they are going to take their land, they're going to privatize everything in Puerto Rico. You know, to have them be so open about that to me was like a huge learning experience. Yeah, ben, yeah, it was amazing. I would say for me, like just seeing the reverence that other superstars and actors and other performers was really eye-opening. What they have for John, like to see George Lopez in the trailer. I hope he doesn't mind that I'm saying this, but like to see him a little nervous and excited to meet John in a different way. And Robert Rodriguez got on a plane that morning to shoot for two hours with us. Got on a plane that afternoon to go back and finish his movie. Like to see the reverence and the respect that other giants in the industry hold for John, that I'm not even sure John understands that in the moment, but uh, I certainly was uh, amazed by that. And then the, 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 the segment that, that Carolina's talking about in Puerto Rico was really eye-opening because we went to places that I lived when I was a baby. We went to Ponce, and then uh, the town that where the indigenous Tainos are at is actually the birthplace of my mother, where she grew up, and... Uh, she knew John before she passed, and she predicted a lot of these beautiful things happening to me now. So to have that moment and share it with John and, and the team and be surrounded by love was really beautiful. Yeah, that moment, specific, I remember being on, on uh, comms with Ben, and the scene was wrapping, and I just hear a little bit of a sniffle. And I called out to Ben, and I was like, are you okay? <laughs> and it was just that, that moment, really, the whole crew, I mean, it was just all hugs and love after that because it was just such an emotional moment. Life-changing experience overall. For sure. John, what about you? Did you, I mean, you, you hosted all eight, yeah. six episodes? I, I love the Michael Pena one when we, because oh, yeah. I love Mike, and I've done a lot of war, uh, films and, and TV shows with him, and, and he, when he was really young, he was always such a spitfire, so brilliant, and such a, he always made me laugh. Anyway, we, he goes back to the hood in Chicago where he grew up with. He goes back, makes pilgrimages, goes to all the places he grew up in, and he's not afraid, and he wants to give back. And then he, he, he invited me to his family's barbecue in their yard. And, and you know, it's, it's a tough neighborhood. It was, it was a hood. You know, they told us we had to be out by, you know, sunset. And Oh, no, that's a different neighborhood. Oh, that was a different neighborhood? Different neighborhood. You're getting Chicago. Uh, that's, that's Gage Park, when we were in Gage Park, shooting with the students. With oh, that's where we had to be out yes, by midnight. But, you know, but, but we did meet up with him in a rough neighborhood. Yes, and yes we did. Yes, we couldn't really walk around there too long. You're absolutely Yeah, right. no, we, we would put ourselves in harm's way, but... It, it, <laughs> uh, well, so, like... Never mind. In no, New York, happen. in, in New York, they said they said Johnny. You said uh, a guy named Johnny jacked your bike. Now you're Johnny John Leguizamo. Do you still get jacked or no? Like you got some street cred now a little bit. No, I, I've got I've gotten jacked. They just didn't realize <laughs> it was my bike. But they got my bike's been stolen many many times in New York City. Now I have the crappiest bike and it'll probably get stolen anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I got mugged when I was seven years old. Is that what you're talking about? Dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my York, first of all, my stolen. parents are immigrant parents, and they would make me earn my Christmas presents, which is what, so I had to read the encyclopedia to try to get my Christmas presents. So I read the goddamn A's and I got, they got me my bike and then I'm riding it down the street and this Johnny guy comes and beats me up and takes the bike from me and I'm crying. And I come up to my dad, I go, dad, they beat me up. I go, no, you go back down there. Don't come in here until you beat him up. I go, 
but he beat me up. Now you're yelling at me. It was like, there was no winning. <laughs> uh, John, so I, like I said, I learned a lot, and we're going to get to these audience questions, but I will never be able to look at an avocado again the same way. <laughs> Talk to me about what you tell the audience uh, in the camera when you're in the bodega about the avocado. Well, avocados come from, you know, the, the Aztecs and, and, and uh, the Maya, and the, the word aguacate in, in Aztec, in Nahuatl, it means testicles because if you know when you cut it in half, it looks just like the Never again, section bro. Of, a, of a testicle. Yeah, yeah, right. You be used you know, to love guacamole. avocado, used to love guacamole. Not even look at it. Okay, anything. Um, all right, let's talk. Uh, we got some questions that have been submitted. We also have likes on the questions, so the more people like the questions, we'll ask them. We're going to start with Victoria Azuston. Uh, here's, oh, is that is that you? Wait, what's that? Oh. Austin. Austin, with a Z. Oh, okay. Austin. Oh, that's what you pronounce it. Wait, do you want to ask it? Is that you? Okay, go for it. You can ask it. Wait, or, or do I? I don't know what the, what is the, okay, go for it. What's that? I think you have to read it. You want me to read it? Okay, sorry. You want me to read it? There's like a lot of rules here. Um, okay. The, the success of Encanto shows how people want to see Latin culture in our entertainment industry. How important was it? for you to be part of that cast. But I do want to ask you something else. I brought this up. Right. To me, watching Encanto with my kids, it was a, a huge success. Yes. The thing I didn't understand, actually I do understand it, was how did Disney not push that out like they pushed Frozen out? Right. I mean, this was a masterpiece. So take it from there. <laughs> okay, all right, those two questions in one. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the power of Encanto and the success of Encanto was what we've always known. You have to have Latin consultants, you have to have Latin artists be part of the creative process. So you had a, 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 a Latina director, a Latina writer, uh, the whole cast was Latino. They went to Colombia, they did research, you know, very specific. So here you are addressing a, a Latin story, but very specifically, maybe you know, and, and, and about Colombians and about La Guerrillera, it's sort of hidden in there, but very specific. And that's the success of it because it wasn't generic. It wasn't authentic. general. It was authentic. And we all, everybody feels that. And it becomes a universal story. And all Latin people relate to all Latin stories. We really do if they're well told. You know, it doesn't matter what country you're from. I'm still going to groove on Mexican storytelling, uh, Cuban storytelling, Puerto Rican. If it's Because I, I see myself in it. Um, what was, your, what was your, your part of the question? It, it was strange. It was such a success, but it was almost organic. It was sort of grassroots that, like, it, it bubbled right. up. They didn't know. They didn't know what yeah. they had. They didn't know what they had. Well, yeah, it but they're, they're paid to know what they have. <laughs> what? But that's that's kind of their job, though, isn't it? <laughs> but you know, it was a Latin story. It was very specific, and they didn't know that that was going to become the biggest hit they've ever had. But it, but it did. It was the biggest hit that. Awesome. That they've ever, the biggest musical, the number one, it beat Frozen, you know. Uh, yeah. Uh, they didn't know. Okay. They didn't know because they it was a Latin know. story and they don't, right. they still don't know. Even though with every hit, they still don't know that we, uh, Lin-Manuel has the biggest hit on Broadway. Where's the other Latin stories? Right. Where are right. they? There are none. We're invisible on Broadway. That's a great point. Um, we have a question from Carlos Parrada. Is he here? Okay, maybe not. How, how much do you feel your Colombian heritage is still part of how you think? Uh, all, all that magical realism, you were just talking about that. All right. Well, obviously, my Colombian heritage has a lot to do with who I am and how I see, you know, how I express myself, my type of comedy. 
Colombians are very, uh, you know, we, we, look our, we like our one-man upsmanship. We like to do the dozens, and, you know, we like, we, we like, we like a lot of sarcasm, too. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, magical realism, that's not, that's, you know, I grew up in the States, and I've read Gabriel Garcia Mar Marquez, and I see where magical realism really exists in Latin America just because, I guess, of colonialism and conquest, inquisition, and, and the, the destruction of the indigenous cultures that have created this magical realism to survive, and it's part of their survival uh, storytelling. But it's not as much a part of my life, because I grew up in, in, in New York, and you can't be so whimsical in New York, you won't survive. <laughs> you gotta be much more realistic, so I'm more realistic. Realistical. This is for Carolina and Ben. What locations did you travel to for your new show? And when in the country are these where in the country are these stories coming from? Uh, well, we started in New York City. Um, we started in John's hometown, actually. He took us right to where he grew up and where he lived in front of his apartment building. Uh, and he kind of told us his story. And then we just, and obviously we covered, in, in New York City, we, we tackled a lot of issues about marginalization. Uh, then we went to D.C., um, where we uh, discuss representation, but we meet with different people from all ethnicities. It's not like one Latino story from, you know, this is the Colombia episode or this is the Mexico episode. Uh, they're kind of intermixed uh, depending on who it is that we're talking to. We also went down to Miami. Obviously in Miami, we're talking about the Cuban uh, population and the Venezuelan popula population. Um, and then uh, we went to Puerto Rico Obviously there it was very specific to Puerto Rico. Uh, then we went to Chicago and we met with not only the, the Mexican community there, but also the Puerto Rican community in Chicago, which is a little lesser known. Uh, and we ended up in LA um, where we basically focused uh, primarily on the industry uh, of Hollywood and which is something that's near and dear to John's heart and to obviously all of us who work within it. So um, it, it wasn't one specific culture. We, we, we kind of celebrate everyone. Um, there's some cultures that we didn't get to touch base on. I mean, we, it, like, uh, we couldn't hit every single country, uh, but to your point earlier, it, when you do that also, there's like a disjointment. And so we just- uh, But wait, isn't there season two? <laughs> well, oh, well, we don't well, know yet. Uh, we don't know yet. Well, yes, maybe. please. Season, yeah, it could be, could be. Season three, season yeah, four. Okay, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Ben, I have a question for you. This is, comes from Alicia Ramirez. What advice do you have for young Latinos who are trying to navigate the professional world while trying not to lose their heritage in white America? I mean, the short answer is just go for it. Like, don't let yourself be locked in by fear or the statistics of how marginalized we are in the industry. Just go for it. And I think that, like John always says, like being Latino is a superpower. I really believe that. Anything that makes you different is an edge, not a hindrance. So I think own that difference as opposed to being afraid or trying to, to kind of assimilate. Keep your richness and your uniqueness for sure, but don't give up. John, you kind of you had sort of a, a guerrilla warfare mentality on how to break into Hollywood and the entertainment industry. You did it yourself, little things here and there that popped up, made, made, made a bigger splash. What do you recommend uh, to Latino filmmakers now to get recognition from larger companies? How does somebody who's just starting out get on the, the radar of Comcast, get on the radar of Disney, get on the radar of Netflix? Well, I, I mean... <sighs> I mean, the digital revolution definitely democratized the ability to, to get your product done, because you can do it with your iPhone, you can do it however you can, you can make it happen. And, and obviously, 
Latin con- the net, net, um, the Nielsen's just came out with a Netflix breakdown that proves that Latin people on Netflix will go to Latin content more readily than to any other content. They will definitely go to uh, content that has a Latin artist, Latin storytelling, Latin Latin um, uh, uh, filmmakers in it. So th- that's a good thing. So if, if, the, I think Latin people are having success on the digital platform where they're, 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 they're content is being found by the audience that wants it. The problem that's happening is that the studios, no matter how many millions of hits these companies and these young artists on digital platforms are getting, are not going to them and greenlighting their projects or bringing them in. That's something that I've noticed that's very problematic. Because they are doing it if, if, if a white artist does have a lot of hits like that, they're going to them immediately making them stars. They're not doing that to Latin stars on, on the digital platform. But I say, you know, you, you got to make your own content. You got to make it and you got to get it out there however you can. Obviously, for me, theater was easier because it's a very cheap format. Mm. Obviously, film is a very expensive format, so it's prohibitive that way. But, you know, write plays, <laughs> you know. The, uh, that's what I did. I wrote the cheapest thing that I could do that I could get made in plays was my thing to get me to where I needed to go. Mm, nice. Okay. Um, there's a, there was a conversation you have in the New York episode where you're at a dinner table and you asked about the term Latinx. Yeah. There's been a lot of polling over Latinx. Latinos, I mean, to be fair, they don't, they don't even know what it is. They don't, they're, they're not sure what it is. You use the term Latinx a lot throughout the entire series. Talk to me about sort of where that's at in your mind, what you think of it. Are you going to continue to use it? I love Latinx because it, it, you know, it, it doesn't exclude women. It's LGBTQ plus uh, affirmative. You know, I, I like it because it sounds like a Generation X, you know, Latin X, like X-Men. It sounds like a super, it's like a superhero. So I really like it, but I know a lot of people don't like it. Older people, Latin people hate it. Go, I, I don't want to say that. It's Latinos. Just say Latinos. Shut up. Latinxies. It's kind of weird. They say que es un Latinx, que es un X. <laughs> you know, and millennials don't like it either. So, yeah. I'm gonna we'll still, see what I'm going to still use it. <laughs> um... Carolina, let's see here. Uh, Latinidad is not a monolith. We come in different races, Afro-Latino. You know, you, you guys talk about being from Europe, things like that. Indigenous. What, yeah, indigenous. What were the difficulties in trying to draw a cohesive, nuanced pick? And I, I do want to say you guys have done, I think, one of the best sort of surveys of everybody. You feel it's very inclusive. Uh, yeah, no, for sure. In terms of in front of the camera or behind the camera? I, I think this was in, in the stories you guys tell on the show. Yeah, I mean, look, it, in terms of the stories that we tell, there was, the, for, for, for me, there was not a, certain, a specific story that I wouldn't want to tell. For me, it's like the interesting story that can get us to a layered story, that's the story that we want to tell. So, for instance, it doesn't, um, it doesn't have to be my background, it doesn't have to be what I lived, what my, my knowledge it comes from, but it's, it's about telling the full story. So that was the the number one rule, right? We want to tell the full story. We want to tell everyone's story. So for the, to me, that's kind of like an easy thing to be inclusive of other people. It comes naturally to me. I think when when you're a person that's been left out for so long, the idea of 
bringing other people in is just your natural reaction. It's the thing that you always want to do. So finding those stories and, and determining what those were gonna be, there was no hardship in that. And there was not a single story that was like not going to be considered just because of like we had a specific idea of what it is that we wanted to do. For us, it was more about the overall theme. Mm -hmm. And and then and, and we found stories to tell that, you know? Ben, what influences for you when, you, when you shoot these documentaries and you shoot these series, I mean, is there, is there, is there a filmmaker or a past series that has influenced you in a big way? Yeah, I mean, I, I look up to all the greats. I look up to Robert Rodriguez. I look up to people like uh, Ken Burns in many ways, although his stories have, have often left some of our stories out of it. But um, mm -hmm. I'm inspired by it anyway. Joe Berlinger, uh, Guggenheim, Fisher Stevens. Uh, so I'm into a lot of things, but I, I'm, I'm really still like a theater kid at heart. So I'm still drawn to movie musicals. I'm still drawn to, to Broadway shows. I'm still drawn to John's work. And uh, it's like a whole diaspora of, of influences for me. John, who are your biggest influences and, and to this day who still influences you? Oh, I, I got different influences for the different things I do. You know, like uh, for one-man shows, I, I came up at a time when there were such great, powerful one-man shows. There was uh, Eric Bogosian. Who, who brought the anger to it, and, and, and uh, Whoopi Goldberg, who brought, you know, ghetto and Irvin and, and just poetry to it, and then Lily Tomlin, who brought sort of the, uh, the play to it. So I took it and I made it my own thing, sort of an autobiographical play of it. So th those were huge influences for me. And then obviously acting, Pacino, De Niro, you know, uh, Brando, they were like, you know, they were who existed. And, and I think Richard Pryor to me though was the biggest influence in my whole life and career because here was this marginalized black man telling a marginalized story but making it so funny and bringing the, the rawness to it. And so he's, he's my biggest influence. But you, you know, a lot of your later works and now this show, I mean, you're, you're, you're a journalist. Right, right. In a sense, you got to get the facts right. You got to get those yeah, stories no, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So how do you, how do you, how does that sort of, you've obviously evolved as a communicator and yeah. you've grown as a communicator. I mean, how do you, how do you make sure you're, you're getting all that right and making sure you're not making mistakes? Right. I mean, obviously this is not the field that I had prepared myself for, you know, it's definitely your field. Um, so it's a, it's a little harder for me sometimes, but you know, uh, I, I try to be like I think I look at Ken Burns, I look look at Oliver Stone, and I look what they've done, and and I and I try to learn from them. You know, I try to learn, I try to do the best I can. As we get close to wrapping this up, uh, some final thoughts, John. If you were gonna talk to somebody in an elevator who has no interest in Latino culture, right. how do you sell them on this show? Well, I mean, because yeah, the show. If you watch the show, I want people to feel like they want to be Latin, that they're sorry that they're not Latin. That <laughs> that. That's what I'd like to do. And if somebody's trapped in an elevator, you know, and, 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 and they don't have no interest in Latin culture, I don't know why I'm talking to them. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, please like us. <laughs> uh, Carolina, what, what message do you have to uh, Latino filmmakers, showrunners out there? Um, you had a lot of success. I know you've worked very hard. What's your advice to them? Um, my main advice would be to have a, a very specific point of view and to honor that point of view throughout your career. I think a lot of people get lost in the sauce and they just start, they're hungry for work, right? So they'll do just about anything. And I get that. And I've done, I've been there and done that as well. But I think if you have to honor who you are and the stories that you want to tell, and I think that's 
for me, the only thing that I'm always looking at is, am I telling the stories I want to be telling? And often, I'm not. I haven't been able to. And then, lo and behold, something like this happens, and you're at the right time, the right place, with the right people, and a dream comes true, you know? And then finally, Ben, we've, we've talked a lot about doors slamming our faces, breaking down the doors. NBC News, MSNBC Films opened the door. They've opened the door for me. They've opened the door for you guys. Talk to me about that. I think it's incredible. I think it gives us a, a, a stamp of credibility and a, a approval that I think we've deserved for a long time, but it does help across the marketplace and it opens doors to other people. Like you can't, when you have a bit of success or you get to a certain level in your career and your journey, and I'm certainly not where I, I, I envision myself to be in the future, but I, you have a responsibility to pay it forward. And I think MSNBC is paying it forward in many ways, but also as individual storytellers, we got to pay forward with the stories we tell, the people we bring along to uh, to make it happen, and uh, and the audiences we're trying to, yeah, to move. We, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Cesar Conde, the chairman of NBC, yeah. who look who is a Latin man who's given us this opportunity. His mission statement was 50% diversity, and and it's true. He greenlit this show. Liz and Amanda, without their help, we need our allies, and they're my strongest allies, and they supported me, helped me get here, and, and I couldn't be here without them. We wouldn't be here without them, their facts. help and their, and their love. Absolute facts. Yes. Uh, guys, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for making this series. Oh, it really is you. so powerful. Thank you for all the honesty, and we thank you guys for showing up. Thank you to South by Southwest thank you, as well. Thank you.